Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So you go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary and every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash bpshow. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. 44 ex-senators, Republicans and Democrats say it's time for the United States Senate to stand up strong against Donald Trump. Hey, what do you say, everybody? On a Tuesday, December 11, here we go. It is the Bill Press Show. That's me. You are part of it as well as we kick off our two hours roundabout way of looking at the news today. We'll take tell you what's going on here in Washington, all the latest here around the country and around the globe as we join you all across this country and all around the globe on uh, online, on the radio, and on television with the news pardon me, with the news of the day. Thanks so much for being with us. We've got uh, lots going on today. Today's a big meeting, the big showdown, the big summit. Chuck and Nancy going down to sit down with the president of the United States and uh, try to avoid a government shutdown. Uh, but you can bet, at least we can hope, uh, that Chuck and Nancy are not going to be giving the president everything he wants for his border wall. He wants $5 billion. He doesn't deserve it ball. We don't need the wall. And uh, looks like they're not going to give it to them. We'll see what happens out of that. As I mentioned, 44 ex-senators penning a very powerful op-ed in the Washington Post calling for the Senate to get some backbone like it may have had when they were uh, in office. A top Russian spy has flipped, now cooperating with federal prosecutors, to escape some jail time here in the United States. Uh, she's the one who got the Russians to put all the money into the NRA for Donald Trump. We'll see where that goes. And, yes, Donald Trump still looking for a new chief of staff. Have you sent in your job resume yet? Hey, those are just some of the items we're going to touch this morning. And you want to comment on on Twitter at BP Show. Our chance to coming up to, to get up to date on the news of the day. But first... This is the Full Court Press. All right, let's do it. Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, good morning. Good morning. To sisters Mary Cooper 
and sister Lana Chang. Hi, sisters. They work at the St. James Catholic School in Torrance near L.A., California, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they got in a little bit of trouble. In fact, they got in a lot of trouble. It turns out they oh, were no. stealing funds from an account at the school that was holding tuition fees and donations. Oh. Now, you have to say... These were uh, two uh, nuns. Surely they were stealing it for a good purpose, right? Yeah, yeah. They were stealing it like, to send to the missionaries overseas or something. No? They had been stealing from this account for over a decade to fund their habits of travel and gambling. Uh, <laughs> I think I saw those two nuns in Vegas once. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, you ever seen a nun gamble? Oh, you probably man. have in Las Vegas, and it might have been these two oh, sisters. God. Yeah, they got in trouble. They embezzled, listen to this, about $500,000 over the course of about a decade. Uh, they said that they have expressed, quote, deep remorse over their actions. The police have been informed, but no criminal <laughs> charges will be brought against the pair. They're not going to bring charges against them. Nice thing about doing that if you're a Catholic nun is you just go to confession and your sins are all forgiven. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, right. Yeah. Steal over half a million dollars over the course of a decade. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. There you go. We talked earlier this week about how the Academy Awards ditched their host, Kevin Hart, after some of his homophobic tweets surfaced from several years ago. So who's going to replace him? Well, there is a report in Variety that says that the decision has not been made, and one of the ideas that they're thinking about is no host at all. A robot. (laughs) I mean, I can promise you that a robot doesn't have uh, problematic tweets from a long time ago, but they're saying they're, they're talking about using no host at all. In fact, using... Quote, a bunch of celebrities, something like Saturday Night Live and yeah, Buzzy yeah. for people to throw to commercials. So in other words, just a long list of stars that we all recognize sort of uh, moving the show along and throwing it to commercial, but not one central host. It's kind of boring, but, you know, I take that job. I would not take the job of chief of staff no. at the White House. I take the job as the host of the Oscars. Maybe John Kelly should host. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, how about it? Donald Trump tells so many lies that the Washington Post has had to invent a whole new category of liar to cover a big liar like him. (laughs) Hello, everybody. Here we are on a Tuesday, Tuesday, December 11, uh, the Bill Press Show. Hello, hello. Great to see you today, and uh, we've got lots and lots to talk about. Never a dull news day in Trump land, that's for sure. It's not necessarily all good news, but it is news. And we'll bring it to you uh, from our studio right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., as we reach out to you everywhere in this great land of ours, on the radio, online, and on television. Online, of course, on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. On the radio, statewide in Indiana, on Indiana Talks, uh, other little stations around the country, and the big one, WCPT in Chicago and the greater Chicago area. Great to see you, WCPT. Hope it's not too cold, with too much cold wind blowing off the lake out there. And on television, here we are with you on Free Speech TV, the one and only progressive uh, cable channel in the entire country. Lots going on here. We've got a great lineup of guests today. We're going to find all about all about an organization 
that Hillary Clinton praised yesterday for their job of recruiting and training Democratic candidates uh, in 2018 and already building toward uh, 2020, the National Democratic Training Campaign uh, Committee. Uh, another group uh, we're going to be visiting with today for the sole purpose they've organized for the purpose of ending Citizens United. So important campaign finance reform. We don't hear that much about it anymore, but it is the root of all evil in Washington, D.C. Campaign cash. And then Pema Levy joining us from a political reporter from Mother Jones on all the rest of the news of the day. Again, so good to have you with us. And remember, you are very much part of the program. You prove that by sending us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, on Twitter, at BP Show, or joining our chat room, uh, Peter. People join the chat room by going to BillPressShow.com. You can do it at BillPressShow.com. Uh, you can also just go, it'd be easier to just go to YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. <laughs> if you do go to yeah, our website, the, we have the uh, yeah, video right. right there. You can click through. But just go to our YouTube channel because you can not only join the chat room for the live show, but you can see all of our other shows. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yeah, so diving into the news of the day, here's a name. Uh, if you're not already familiar with it, you're going to be hearing a lot more about Maria Butina. Yes, Maria Butina. She is, as she sounds, a Russian spy. That's a great name for a Russian spy, Maria Butina. A hundred percent. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah, love it. Love it. Yeah. At any rate, uh, she's a young woman who was recruited by a Russian oligarch. Well, this is all fact here. Uh, to come to the United States in 2016 and uh, to use her wiles and guiles and favors, if you will, whatever. Uh, yes, it's everything that I'm talking about. Uh, to penetrate, infiltrate um, Republican organizations that where she could spread a little Russian influence and Russian favoritism. And she decided that the NRA was the best pick. So we're going to find out. She has now, um, she's been charged by the federal prosecutors um, with some illegal campaign activity. So she reportedly has flipped. She is now cooperating with federal prosecutors. She's in jail uh, now, and she doesn't want to stay there much longer, serve a lot, serve too much time in an American prison. So she is cooperating with federal prosecutors. Uh, and we will hear her story soon, but what we're told is that she will tell about the, ta- the tale of getting this money from her Russian oligarch. Does this sound familiar? Russian money into the NRA for the purpose of running ads in support of candidate Donald Trump. Have you noticed? I certainly have. Every day there's another Russian connection proven. Every single day. So this is money not to the Trump campaign directly, but again, we're going to find out more about this, to the NRA for the purpose of supporting Republican candidates. But number one, what they spend, $30 million or something like that, supporting Donald Trump, who went to their convention, said you'll never have to worry about gun control any at all once I'm in the White House. This is money laundering right out in the open. Right. Totally. Russian money laundering. Russian money laundering right out in the open. Yeah. yeah exactly. Good point. Uh, and she had a boyfriend. About, well, she made a boyfriend, Paul Erickson, a Republican operative, who's the one who then introduced her to all these Republican organizations of which she chose the uh, 
uh, the NRA. So um, it's just uh, you know one more one more case of Russian interference in the 2016 election for the purpose of helping uh, Donald Trump. Meanwhile, I don't know whether you saw this, but Trump has uh, come out with now. So we talked a lot about this yesterday. Uh, Michael Cohen pleading guilty to making two illegal payments, which amounted to campaign contributions, two illegal payments to Stormy Daniels and to Karen McDougal, hush money, so that they would not talk about their affairs with Donald Trump and thereby perhaps jeopardize his presidential campaign in 2016. Those contributions well were way over the limit of what somebody could make to a presidential campaign and were not reported by Donald Trump. So Michael Cohen is charged with making those illegal payments, and this cannot be emphasized too much. Donald Trump, not charged yet, but identified as the person who ordered those payments, directed those payments, approved those payments, was very much part of it. In fact, let's just go to Fox News, to Fox, the legal analyst for Fox News, Judge Andrew Napolitano. He seems kind of pissed because he's been saying some very negative things about the president. Well, I think he knows that he went out on a limb to support this president, and the president keeps doing stuff that's wrong, and and more evidence comes out that the president was breaking the law. Remember, it wasn't that long ago that... It was rumored that Judge Andrew Napolitano might be someone that Trump considered for the Supreme Court. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I think it's hard. I give him credit. It's hard for someone who really does know the law to defend Donald Trump when it's so clear that he has no respect. He, Donald Trump, has no respect for the law. So uh, Napolitano was on Fox Radio yesterday with a guy named Tom Shalhoub, and he says, look, you know, there's no no other way to slice this. So I think those who are trying to downplay this and say it's a it's a it's a bookkeeping error when you're talking about paying somebody money to remain silent about alleged inappropriate behavior, that is either a campaign contribution, which is unlawful, or a campaign expenditure, which is unlawful. And and Cohen pleaded guilty to it. You know, if you hire me to shoot somebody and I shoot them under the law, you are as liable as if you pulled the trigger. Bingo. Yeah. Donald Trump hired Michael Cohen, ordered Michael Cohen to make these payments. Michael Cohen guilty for making them. Donald Trump guilty for giving the orders. That's what Napolitano said. So what he's referring to there is that Donald Trump now, he's been tweeting about this. um, He defends these payments by saying, oh, this is no big deal. Um, People get fined all the time for making uh, mistakes, pardon me, mistakes on their campaign reports. Uh, Barack Obama did the same thing. Uh, John McCain did the same thing, says Donald Trump. No, they didn't. Yeah, but look, as always, with Donald Trump, he says something outrageous like this. There's a little kernel of truth there, right? Which is that a lot of candidates make mistakes or end up mistakes are found in their campaign reports and they have to pay a fine. All right? Look at me. Guilty. When I was a candidate in California, statewide office, one time, campaign we filed a campaign report, my campaign. It was determined there was a mistake in the campaign. I didn't know it. I'd signed the papers. I mean, our accountant had put the whole thing together. Uh, and what did we do? We filed a re- amended report, and we paid the fine. 
Okay, it does happen all the time. And that's what happened with Barack Obama, and that's what happened with John McCain. But there's a big difference with what happened with Donald Trump. With Donald Trump, number one, they knew this was an illegal payment. It was made for the sole purpose. It wasn't just a bookkeeping. It was made for the sole purpose, says the man who made it, Michael Cohen, of keeping these two women quiet. It was all about hush money. And they didn't file an amended report. They didn't file a corrected report. They didn't admit they had made a mistake. They covered it up and lied about it for two years. So it's a huge difference. Don't try to say Barack Obama did the same thing. Yeah, let's play that game again. What if it came out that Barack Obama in 2008 had paid $130,000 in hush money to a prostitute or a porn star not to talk about an affair? Could you imagine the outrage and the number of hearings we would have had, the number of impeachment hearings and the Supreme Court involved in everything? So, you know, for Donald Trump to try to say, oh, everybody does it. Everybody pays porn stars not to talk about their affairs. Yeah, no, Donald, this is in a class by itself. It is just ludicrous and outrageous for Donald Trump to compare this to either John McCain, a, a, a ordinary, just kind of classic filing mistake that a Barack Obama or a John McCain or you name the candidate, anybody you know, probably anybody you know who ran for office at whatever level, has at some time had to file an amended campaign reform uh, campaign report. That's not a big deal. What Donald Trump did, totally, totally, totally different. Uh, Donald Trump, meanwhile, he is still looking for a uh, chief of staff, uh, as uh, Senator Chris Coons from Delaware said uh, yesterday. Uh, you know, this is just the latest in a whole series of staff um, mistakes and uh, challenges down at the Trump White House. The contest around getting someone qualified and capable and willing to take up the job of chief of staff is just the latest in a number of challenges this administration has faced in filling senior positions. And so, as we know, uh, Donald Trump, so here, <laughs> by the way, this is so, you know, what's FUBAR? This is, yeah, this is a classic case of FUBAR. Well, so like this Nick Ayers situation, who is Mike yeah. Pence's chief of staff, who Donald Trump wanted to be his chief of staff. Uh, he asked him, and Nick Ayers said, not only no am I not going to do this, but I'm leaving the White House altogether. And this is a guy who's 36 years old, clearly looks like he's one of these ladder-climbing type oh, of yeah, DC. Yeah. And even he won't take it. Right. He won't take it. He would but, rather get out of the White House than to take this job. But there's more to the story than that, which is that this is Ivanka and Jared. Yeah who didn't like John Kelly because he was limiting, trying to limit a little bit their influence. After all, who are they, right? right. Daughter and son-in-law. Yeah. So they resented that. So they engineered the palace coup. By the way, imagine, they think get about this. Yeah, think th about Jared Kushner doesn't think he has enough influence and power. A guy who's in, in the mix all the time. Uh, and who's been put in charge of almost everything yeah. Donald Trump wants to do. Okay, so... Uh, Ivanka and Jared engineered the palace coup. They talked Nick Ayers into make, being a candidate. They convinced Trump that John Kelly's no good. you got to get rid of him. He's not one of us. They convinced Trump to offer the job to Nick Ayers, and Nick Ayers turns him down. It's amazing. So now Ivanka and Jared are left, 
empty-handed, and so is Donald Trump. And so he's searching around for anybody who would take the job. The problem <laughs> is the problem is that the number one requirement for chief of staff in the Trump White House is you have to speak Russian. Uh, <laughs> so they can't find anybody who can speak Russian. But Mark Meadows, so <laughs> the people they're talking about, Robert Lighthouser, who's the trade rep, he's already got a pretty important job, Mick Mulvaney, who is already budget director and head of the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, uh, he's already got a pretty important job. Steve Mnuchin, who is, you know, Donald Trump's shadow, uh, he wants to always be right there at Donald Trump's uh, elbow, uh, he's got a pretty important job already. So then they're, And then they're talking about Mark Meadows, the head of the Freedom Caucus, the congressman from North Carolina, who has um, who told Fox News yesterday, basically, yeah, uh, it may be a lousy job, but I'll take it. You know, there needs to be someone to support this president and making sure that we indeed make America great again. So it sounds like if you were offered the job, you would say yes. Well, I, you know, listen, there's a whole lot. You don't answer a question before it's asked. But I can say this, that uh, because it's an honor, certainly I'm, I'm favorably inclined to at least have a, a discussion with the president. He's an idiot. I mean, seriously, if he would consider, first of all, that in this White House, it's an honor to be chief of staff. In this White House, it's a humiliation to be chief of staff because Donald Trump will treat you like dirt, just like he treated Reince Priebus, just like he treated John Kelly. Remember, remember, remember Donald Trump talking about how much he, how proud he was of his generals? Yeah, what happened to General H.R. McMaster? What happened to General Michael Flynn? Now what's happened to General <coughs> John Kelly? Uh, Jim Mattis over at the Defense Department, he's lucky he's across the river. Yeah. Otherwise, he'd be thrown under the bus, too. Uh, but it looks like, I right now, my reading is that Mark Meadows looks like he's going to fall for it. Yeah, I, and I can't figure out why. Give up a powerful position in Congress, chair whatever committee he's chair of, and chair of the Freedom Caucus, and a, and a job like that representing the people of North Carolina, to take this job, uh, which you know again, will burn up within a year or so. He'd be an idiot to take that job, but uh, again, looks like he may do it. Meanwhile, um, there was a I saw a photo this morning of uh, John Kelly leaving the White House yesterday with a big briefcase. It, I think he might have taken the nuclear code with him because um, he, <laughs> he didn't want to leave it behind. <laughs> big decision yesterday. Uh, boy, it was bouncing around because there was a lot to talk about. Big decision yesterday. In the Supreme Court, a very significant decision. So the issue was this, uh, and this, is a, this was a, an indirect, if you will, attack on reproductive freedom and the right of a woman to choose whether or not to have an abortion. And these, this suit had been brought, again, indirectly, not a direct attack on Roe v. Wade, but the way this was brought was that states should have the right to cut off funding for Planned Parenthood. Well, a couple of lower courts ruled against that theory. They said that states, yes, they could cut off funding to a medical clinic, but it had to be for purposes of, it had to be, they'd have to show that the clinic 
was not delivering good services, that the people in the clinic were incompetent. The clinic couldn't be trusted to provide medical services to women. They couldn't just cut it off because they didn't like the fact that they were Planned Parenthood clinics. Two lower courts ruled that way, and those who are the anti-choice people um, wanting to get, again, indirectly at Roe v. Wade, managed to get this case. To, to They appealed to the Supreme Court to take this case uh, and overrule the lower courts, in other words, to allow states, give them the total, total green light to cut off funding for Planned Parenthood. Big decision. And the Supreme Court ruled, actually. So the vote is, are we going to take this case or not? We, the Supreme Court. To take a case like that, you need four justices to agree to take it. Yesterday, they got only three. They fell one short. Because, here's the significance of it, not only did the four uh, liberal justices or more moderate justices, Sonia Sotomayor and Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Stephen Breyer and Elena Kagan, vote not to take up this case, but so did John Roberts, who's sort of in the position now, Chief Justice, of being the swing vote. That's surprising. More surprising, so did Brett Kavanaugh vote against taking this case. So the only three left were Samuel Alito and Clarence Thomas. Um, and Gorsuch. And, of course, yeah, Neil Gorsuch. Thank uh, Clarence you. Thomas right. wrote a blistering uh, dissent about this, uh, saying that you know this is the one thing that the court really should take seriously and should have a stance on. Because he wants to overturn Because he wants to overturn it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you could tell where the conservatives wanted this to go. And to think that uh, two of the crown jewels uh, for conservatives voted to uh, not let this move forward is remarkable. Yeah. They were so proud of getting Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court. Yeah. Now remember now this. Th- this this was not a case decided by the Supreme Court, but it still has a carries a lot of legal weight because this is a decision whether or not to debate a case to deny basically to deny women access to health care at a Planned Parenthood clinic, and five justices said no, we don't, or six justices said. No, we don't want to take up that case. So, in effect, it was a pro-choice ruling by the Supreme Court, the conservative Roberts Supreme Court of the United States with two Trump people on it. Very, very, very uh, significant. Also today in the significant today in the Washington Post, 42 ex-senators, former Senate members of the 44, I'm sorry, former members of the United States Senate 32 Democrats, 10 Republicans, and two independents uh, have penned an op-ed where they call on the Senate without mentioning Donald Trump's name. It's clearly, we know who they're talking about. This is like at the George W. Bush funeral. They didn't have to mention Donald Trump's name. Everybody knew who they were referring to when they said George W. Bush's creed was, tell the truth, always tell the truth. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. that's the way it is today with this president. Uh, at any rate, these 44 senators call on the Senate to stand up and defend democracy. Just a couple of quotes here. They say, we are entering a dangerous period. 
and we feel an obligation to speak up about serious challenges to the rule of law. We are at an inflection point in which the foundational principles of our democracy and our national, national security interests are at stake. At other critical moments in our history, which const, when constitutional crises have threatened our foundations, it has been the Senate that has stood up in defense of our democracy. Today is once again such a time. Calling on the Senate to stand up and defend our democracy in light of the f- attacks on democratic institutions that are coming from Donald J. Trump. Uh, and I mentioned also a little bit later, speaking of the a little earlier, speaking of the Washington Post, that they have a new category now for liars. You know, they have this uh, uh, Pinocchio system whereby if you tell a little lie, it's like one Pinocchio, two lies is a little bigger lie is two Pinocchios. It goes up to four Pinocchios. The Washington Post has decided that that's not enough to deal with Donald Trump. So now they've come up with a new category, uh, Glenn Kessler, who does the fact check in the Washington Post. It's called the bottomless Pinocchio. It's a little silly of a title, but at any rate, to, to qualify for the bottomless Pinocchio, you have to have had um, a three or four Pinocchio ruling at least, and you have to have t- told lies so many times that you are basically running a disinformation campaign. And there's only one person on the planet so far who qualifies for the bottomless Pinocchio. Uh, you guessed it. Of course, it is Donald Trump who automatically was given 14 bottomless Pinocchio awards based on what he's said so far, uh, including, get these, so... Oh, why, by the way, I said you have to have a three or four Pinocchio ruling and you have to have told the same lie at least 20 times. Okay? I mean, telling a lie 20 times for Donald Trump? Boop. That's nothing. He uh, does that before breakfast. Yeah. So the ones that they've listed here, um, we're building that wall, already building the wall, and I'm really proud of it. Big lie. He's told it 86 times. Um, we have spent $70 billion in the Middle East since I've been president. Uh, he's told that lie 36 times. We pay most of the cost of NATO. Told that lie 87 times. Democrats colluded with Russia. They're the ones who colluded with Russia. Uh, 48 times he sold that lie. These are proven, factual, wrong lies. Deliberately lies. Um, how about this one? The U.S. economy has never been stronger. 99 times. <laughs> so that lie. I'm surprised it's that few. And the last one, that I'm responsible for the biggest tax cut in history. He says it still over and over again. 123 times. There you go. Nobody. Never been uh, a bigger liar than ever. Finally, uh, one, one feel-good little story here, uh, I got to tell you. So, you know, we got this whole problem with the border and refugees and this hard-ass kind of policy of Donald Trump. Uh, I'd like to deport everybody who ever came here legally, even the dreamers, you know. Uh, uh, Just this nativist, hate-filled policy of his. What a contrast I read this morning about what's happening in the Netherlands. 
So there's a rule in the Netherlands that authorities, law enforcement authorities, cannot interrupt a church service to make an arrest. It just happens to be a law of the land. Well, there's an Armenian family in one little town in, in the Netherlands, uh, five Armenians, for whatever, who were slated to be deported. They came, you know, they were refugees, they got into the Netherlands, and they're there illegally. The government was going to deport them. This one church has started a nonstop worship service. Hell yeah. It's been going on for six weeks <laughs> and around the clock. And there are over 550 pastors who take turns. You know, one of them will get up there and conduct the service for a couple of hours. Then another one will come in. And they are pastors from their, you know, priests and rabbis and and imams, all different faiths, uh, and they just—it's—it's interdenominational service, nonstop service, and these five family members are there, and the law enforcement authorities can't come in and arrest them. I, I just think it. that's great. Isn't that great? Just I love that. Love it. I love it. That's never one. shut it down. Just let it keep going. No, never shut it down. Nonstop. Call them at their game. All right, lots going on. Where did the Kennedys come from in 2018, and um, where did we find them? Who uh, who trained them? What did it all amount to? And uh, what are we doing about candidates for 2020? We'll talk to uh, Kelly Dietrich, who's the founder of the National Democratic Training Committee. Coming up next year on The Bill Press Show. A quick break. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. On a Tuesday, December 11, the Bill Press Show live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Thanks so much for joining us as we uh, hopscotch over the big headlines of the day and the big uh, goings-on in the political world, particularly uh, here on the Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us, and thank you so much for joining us. Remember, your comments always welcome on Twitter, uh, at BP Show. Uh, I just want to start off uh, this little segment of the program with a little warning Particularly if you live on the uh, on Capitol Hill, uh, just be careful these days because um, if you see this woman running back and forth to the post office, you could get run over by Carol Press, uh, my wife, who is running to the post office uh, several times a day, mailing scarves to people who have bought one of her handwoven scarves, like this beautiful one that I'm wearing. I love this black and red and gray little check scarf. Those of you watching on television can see how. How beautiful it is. Each one is hand-woven, no machine scarf. Uh, this is Rayon Chenille. She also does them in bamboo. Lots of colors and designs to choose from. And seriously, they're going like hotcakes. So perfect gift for you or someone you love for the holidays. Uh, check out the website, BillPressShow.com. Go to the link to Carol Press Scarves, and you are in business. Um, Kelly Dietrich joins us back in the studio. Uh, last time we talked, it was all about what uh, what great work the National Democratic Training Committee was doing in getting candidates ready for 2018. Well, now we want to talk about the success of 2018 and plans for 2020. Kelly, welcome back. It's hey, good to see you. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me. I made a note. I'm going to go get a scarf. There you go. Before we uh, uh, I have a pile here, I can sell you. No, no, just <laughs> go to the website. Uh, <laughs> before we jump into that, we've been uh, at this for about a half an hour here, Peter, and stirring up some dust from comment our viewers.
comments on Twitter at BP Show at BP Show. Somebody chiming in about the letter you read from the uh, former senators. senators. Yeah, uh, says too bad the current Senate has no patriotism or courage. These are just empty words at this point. Uh, it is true. Calling on this gang yeah, to show any yeah, exactly. backbone. No, I agree. Why would they now? Mitch yeah. McConnell. Backbone? Yeah, right. Talking about Chief of Staff, G. Kane says Chris Christie is the only one whose reputation can't be sullied by working for Trump as Chief of Staff. His reputation is already at rock bottom. Well, well bad yeah. news for Chris No, Christie. he is. You know, also in a weird way, I think Chris Christie is maybe the only name that I've heard who might be willing to tell sure. Donald Trump, you're full of crap right, but again, on an issue. But he's not going to get that job. No. For starters... He put Jared Kushner's father in jail, <laughs> so he's not going to get that job. Now he could put the son in jail. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? Oh, right. uh, also, uh, a little bit of a shout-out here this morning to Laurie Black. Says, I love my daily dose of the Bill Price Show. Bill, you rock. She's listening out on the West Coast, so early morning for Laurie. Thank you so much. Thank you, Laurie. Love you. If you have a comment, find us on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Here we go. So, um, by the way, I, I did see, we were talking a little bit earlier, just, yeah. uh, Kelly, if you'd bear with us, um, about this big meeting today with uh, Chuck and Nancy, right? So Donald Trump just tweeted uh, exactly while, during our break, I look forward to my meeting with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. In 2006, Democrats voted for a wall, and they were right to do so. Today, they no longer want border security. They will fight it at all cost, and Nancy must get votes for speaker. But if the wall will get built, dot, 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 whatever. I mean, what's weird about that is so even before the meeting, right, they sit down. He's already kind of accusing them of coming in and— Bill, he is the greatest negotiator. <laughs> he knows how to negotiate. Is this how you make a deal? I have no idea. President deals. <laughs> right. But also, this Democrats voted for a wall in 2006? What's that all about? It was probably one of the bullet points written in very large font on a memo for him that he may or may not have seen. Uh, at least there are no words misspelled that I could see in well, this particular tweet. Smockin'. Smockin'. <laughs> no smocking gun. <laughs> so maybe he did if there are no words misspelled, maybe he didn't write it. <laughs> all right. So you were uh, you were very, very big on. Uh, no. First of all, I want to give you some kudos, a big shout out. Uh, that you had yesterday from none other than uh, former First Lady, former Senator, former presidential candidate Hillary Clinton, who tweeted about you and yes. your organization. Here it is, Peter. She tweeted yesterday, uh, an inspiring number of first-time candidates ran and won office in 2018 in organizations like Train Dems on Twitter, at Train Dems, mm -hmm. were instrumental to those victories. Over 21,000 candidates and activists have signed up for the NDTC's trainings, and they're just getting started. And she put a link there for the website, traindemocrats.org. There you go. There you Hillary go. Clinton's lips to uh, our studio right hey, here. We were, Congratulations. We were, thank you. Uh, what did you pay for that? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing. You know, her and her organization, we don't, we don't endorse anybody. In our trainings. Uh, Elizabeth Warren has endorsed us. Yesterday we were honored and and just humbled, frankly, when, when no, Secretary Clinton she... was willing to put, you know, come forward and, and put us yeah. in, out in front is is great. So we're honored and thrilled and ready to, to keep it going. So what? Uh, tell us about 2018. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, there's certainly a lot of energy out there. 
Uh, how many candidates do you recruit and train? And So we offer free training. Just recap here. We offer free training for any Democrat running for any office around the country. We've got an online. You started when? Uh, started in early 2016. I had this idea. Uh, the idea that training how to run for office should be available to anyone who's want, who wants to step up. Right. The the best practices, how to know how how many votes you need, how to raise money, how to create a message. That's not rocket science, but typically it's it's it was walled off. It was siloed off and only available to the candidates who could afford a, a consultant or an experienced staff person to teach them how to do that. But yeah, there's right. half a million local elections. Right. We that, that's not Democratic big D or little D there. So how could we bring tools, energy help people that in a way that scales and doesn't cost them money. So we created an organization called the National Democratic Training Committee. We are funded by more than 100,000 individual donors from around the country. We raised uh, a little more than four and a half million mm. this year. Mm-hmm. Average contribution is less yeah. than 11 bucks. Great. Uh, some organizations like AFSME, the Teamsters, CWA, AFT all stepped up to help, came on board when they saw what we were building. And we had more than 21,000 people register online to take trainings. How wow. do I run wow. for office? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and do they actually, is, as you said, online, are there all, all training sessions as well? Yes, yeah. sir. So we realize that uh, you need to meet people where they are, right? If, if you, you can go to work, finish your shift, come home, have dinner with the family, put the kids to sleep, you can come downstairs, come online in 30 minutes. We can teach you, we can give you a worksheet. All of the all of the online lessons are on demand. They're interactive. It's a mix of video and text, but every one of them, and there are 22 plus, have a specific takeaway, something you can put to work on your campaign right away, whether that's a quiz to walk you through of, are you thinking about running and what does it mean to run and what office might be good for you to a worksheet for how many votes you need to create a message. Um, and the online is fantastic, but we we kind of we built out this live training to help supplement the online, and it mm-hmm, has just mm-hmm. exploded. We did uh, forty six plus trainings last year mm. around the country. Mm. We have uh, our mantra is cooperative, not competitive. Right? If we raise a four million or ten million, we're not making money on this. We're not charging candidates. We're not charging state parties. This is something we should be doing for the good of the party. We should be building this kind of infrastructure for the long term. What uh, Are these all congressional candidates? No. These are everything from school board to city council to Congress. It runs the gamut up and down the ticket. It's people who want to volunteer and work on campaigns. It's uh, local leaders who are running local county parties, et cetera. So it's uh, all kinds. Only progressives? Democrat, we do not. Uh, we, there's, there's no gate check. If you're a Democrat, you can have the training. Right. Good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> no, I like that. <laughs> no, because, you know, look, I'm a progressive as far left as you can get, but I recognize, I think we all have to, that uh, I couldn't get elected in a lot of districts in this country. Right. And you know, I who... probably couldn't get elected anywhere, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's been proven. <laughs> but, um, you know, you that uh, like the Connor Lambs situation in, yeah. in, in Pennsylvania. He, Perfect for that district. Yeah, right? I mean, we don't. There doesn't need to be a litmus test in our party. These communities know their people better. Uh, they know the issues that matter to them. So, if you're willing to step up and run, I mean, that's the beauty of elections. If you can win, 
that that that's the most important thing. What was your scorecard? Do you uh, have you had a chance to? We have, we have. Uh, now, keeping in mind that we rely on people to tell us how they did, and we're working to to solve that in nineteen. Uh, but we had more than hundred and seventy confirmed wins at the end of November, for which you. Yeah. we're yeah. really, really proud of for the first two years out of the gate. That's fantastic. Here's an interesting thing. We're putting together a 30-day uh, a, a challenge in January for people who want to run for office. And for, you mean if, if, in 19 or 20? In 19, so yes. what's this 30-day challenge? The 30-day challenge is uh, every day we will email and give you another piece of the puzzle to think about and prepare for your campaign. Mm -hmm. We already have nearly 200 people signed up for that. It's, I mean, the elections, I mean, you yeah. know, the election was last week. <laughs> right. People, but they're, they're primed. They're ready. Local elections take place every month, every year. Uh, it's not just federal. So here's what uh, we all worry about is you get through one election and then, right, right you go back to doze, right, yeah. to, to sleep mode. And you don't wake up again until a couple of months before the next election. That's the way, sadly, for Democrats particularly, it happened so that the midterms were never that important. And and the other side had a jump on us. That's yeah. not the case anymore? Uh, we're going to fight to make certain it's not the case. It's not what we are seeing uh, out in the field when we go. Our first training is in, Indiana, is in Indianapolis on the 12th of January. We already have- 12th of January? 12th of January. Jesus, you're not giving them any time to celebrate the holiday. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People are fired up. The, uh, you know, we're working with the party there. They wanted us to come in early. We are, we're planning to do uh, trainings all over the country next year. And as part of our cooperative, not competitive, right? We will work with any democratic organization. We work with all 50 state parties, a couple of territories. I mean, we want to be providing these free resources and tools as far and wide as possible. Uh, did you say Indianapolis? Yeah. Yeah, God knows we need a little help in Indiana, right? <laughs> it Proven, was, was tough. Yeah, yes. At the top of the ticket there yes. at any rate. Yeah. And we need to be building power locally, right? I, th I think all too often we as Democrats, and, and, and sometimes I fall into this trap as well, we're so focused on what's happening, what can we do right now in the next three months in 2018, right, in this election cycle. If we want to build real power, we need to be thinking like five, ten years down the Absolutely. road. Absolutely. How yeah. can we elect people to city councils, school boards, who are going to become state reps and congressionals? I was just going to say, this focus, that's why I ask you about the local races. It's so important, I believe. Um, talking to some friends last night about county supervisor races, city council races. Yeah. These, this is our bench, right? And these are where we train our people, get them the, the experience with dealing with the issues, uh, to be ready to move up to state legislature. I mean... First yeah. of all, they could stay there and serve their communities. There's nothing wrong with that. But also move up to state legislature or to Congress, mayors, yes. cities, such vitally important jobs. Yes. Right. And then all the way. But yeah. that's where they've got to get started. And totally agree. Again, we have not focused on that. And the Republican Party did a very good job in the last census of focusing on state legislative races and governor's races. Yes. And took over the map. Yep. And now, now it's time for us to, to, to step up and do something about that. Uh, tell me about, let's talk content a little bit or substance. What issues did you find were the winning issues for your candidates? In so for our candidates, uh, what we told them, what we really told them is, listen, when you're running as a Democrat, people know where you are on Trump. Your election cannot be a referendum 
on the president. They know you don't like the president. What you need to talk about is what matters in their community. What's what's up with their schools? Is it is it trash pickup in some communities, right? Mm-hmm. Is it traffic? Is it taxes? What are the issues that matter locally? What matters to the voter? Because you're not your voter, right? When you run for office, it's not about you. It's about the voters you need. Um, and so to always be thinking and talking about how their vision can help change the community for the betterment. If stay on that message. If you motivate people, if you empower them, if you inspire them, you'll be successful. One that you didn't mention, which really proved uh, quite successful, I think, for congressional candidates, was health care. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Healthcare is... Uh, I saw a stat recently about the number of ads congressional Democrats ran that mentioned Trump versus healthcare, and healthcare dominated you know, by a significant margin, as opposed to the uh, Republicans who were trying to tie every congressional candidate they could to Nancy Pelosi. But when you see, yeah, when you see, um, first of all, all the millions of, of Americans who have, for the first time now, thanks to the Affordable Care Act, been able to provide health protection for themselves and their families. First time yes. in their lives they could afford yes. it, thanks to a lot to the federal subsidies, the provisions of um, the Affordable Care Act, young people being able to stay on their parents' plan until they're 26, all of those things. Uh, and then when you try to take it away, people say, wait a minute, wait, we just got this, and you want to take it away? And there's a Republican Party in the ch- in the courts as we speak trying to get rid of the provision protecting people with preexisting conditions. It's, it's, it's crazy, and it's not like health care was that great before, right? I mean, the reason we created the Affordable Care Act is because the health care system was broken. Costs were skyrocketing. They, yeah, they and the, and the an private insurance companies were screwing people and not selling them policies or yeah. selling them worthless policies. I, 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 have a, I have a knee problem. I actually, in being self-employed, I actually got a quote from an insurance company that said, we'll insure everything but your left knee. I was like, I, I don't know how that works, but, yeah. you know, what am I going to do? Well, these worthless, yeah, and by the way, these worthless plans that you can buy uh, that Donald Trump has instituted are exactly that, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're cheap, but... <laughs> Right. You walk in and you have anything wrong with you and say, oh, that's not covered. You right. didn't read the fine print on your insurance. <laughs> right. Uh, and so this issue, particularly pre-existing conditions, uh, prescription drug prices yes. and all that, uh, became uh, – I, I joke about the fact that um, Trump and the Republicans have been able to accomplish what uh, President Obama was never able to do, which is make Obamacare popular. Right? <laughs> that's a fair point. Yeah, that's you know, a fair point. Suddenly people say, whoa, you're going to take this away? No. So we work with the local candidates. Uh, to How do you take these issues and apply them to your voters, right? Because if, if you're not showing you have value, uh, then you're just another politician. And sadly, holding office, running for office, it's it, most people don't view it as an honorable profession yeah. anymore, right? right. A, a, a service. Well, let's hope we can change that, too, yes. because it is yes. a, an honorable profession. I'm not saying everybody in politics is honorable, but I still believe it is the most honorable profession because it's the ultimate form of public service. I completely agree or, with you. I, tell people, I don't want to put down the military, but it's certainly a, an, a, an incredibly important form of public yeah, service. Yeah, it is an honorable form of right. service. Absolutely. Um, now, where do, where do, so where do you find these people to run? I mean, where do these candidates come from? So uh, they come to you, or do you go to them? Uh, I mean, they usually they come to us. But so here's here's one of the things we 
saw in the democratic ecosphere is that there are lots, there's lots of amazing organizations out there who are recruiting candidates already. Yeah. Right. This is a group called Run for Something. They're amazing. Yeah. Yes. We are partners. Has been doing this for a long time. Yes. Partners with them. Yes. I'm not. not, Emerge, indivisible. uh, Our revolution is out there. Our revolution. All of these amazing groups doing amazing work with all kinds of different communities and different beliefs. It's fantastic. And what we saw was that some of them did training, and they look. There are lots of amazing training Mm -hmm. organizations out there. Emily's List Training is phenomenal, right? Um, But how do we we reach the number of people we need to reach? How can we scale and grow this? And how can we run for something which does amazing work? We partner with them uh, as one of their, to provide the training for them. And they have mentors set up and they've got this awesome program that that walks people through. But uh, one of their steps when running for office is to come over to the National Democratic Training Committee and learn how to build your campaign plan. Um, so we work with groups. When people are thinking about running for office, they usually ask someone who's involved in politics. Yeah. So we work with all 50 state parties. We are communicating and starting to work, uh, going to start reaching out to the local county party chairs around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and then word of mouth, right? We are aggressive uh, out there trying to let people know about these free resources. So we can't be everywhere, but our allies, our partners can be everywhere and we work with them. All right, so two final questions here. Uh, yes, sir. Kind of wrap up questions. One, so um, with all of our people all across the country, uh, either listening or watching this morning, who might l- get the bug, right? Might Please get the bug. Might feel that, that there's a little itch. They may want to scratch it uh, about running for office someday at whatever level. What is your message to them? Uh, Art, I'll tell you what, come to traindemocrats.org. There is, uh, you click the button that says get trained. We actually have a quiz that will help walk you through whether or not running for office is for you now or down the line. We have first steps, next steps. We can walk you through the whole process. My advice to them is get active, ask questions, figure it out. If it's for you, we're here to help. And I guess your first question, your first response would also be ahead of that is don't be afraid of it, right? No, don't be afraid of it. It's not that people know something you don't know. You don't have to be you don't have to be a, a rich uh, real estate tycoon heir to to run for office. The beauty of our country is that anyone can step up. Anyone can run. We need a more diverse crowd. We need more diverse leaders. And aren't there on that point, I'll get to my second question in just a second. <laughs> but also, aren't there I mean, I, I'm thinking about the money. Yeah, because you mentioned you used to have either have a lot of money have yourself or have a lot of friends with a lot of money. Today, the fundraising has changed so dramatically yes. because of online fundraising that it opens the door right to so yes. many more people. It Look it at absolutely Beto does. in Texas, the amount of money he was able to raise. I mean, geez, un- <laughs> it's unreal of. how much money they yeah. raised down there. Yeah. Thirty nine million and a quarter is ridiculous, but that is that's not the norm. If you run for city council, you run for school board, you run for judge or county board, those races oftentimes are less than $2,500, right? You can do, um, you can make amazing change on a very small budget. We have, uh, we have a couple of lessons that will walk you through exactly how to figure that out and where to go. And you can do it online. You can do it with small dollars. You don't have to have the packs and the big money stuff. Okay. So that second question is then. What do you, those people, of again, viewers or listeners, who may not be ready to run for office, what can they do to help? 
Great question. Uh, we are always looking for donations. We are a, yep. we are a grassroots-driven, uh, funded organization, traindemocrats.org. They can support us. I would encourage them to volunteer. I would encourage them, go to a local party meeting. How can you help grow the organization? What can you do? We are too often so focused on uh, just around the elections, like you said, and then we, we get the hangover and we don't pay attention again. Now is the time to build relationships in our community. Now is the time to be knocking on Democrats' doors and saying, hey, thank you for voting. By the way, our county party meeting is you know next month. We'd love to have you come by. We're doing a charity drive, something to show yeah. our values. Yeah, keep involved. Keep yes. involved. Yeah, keep the energy going and go to traindemocrats.org. I especially want to emphasize uh, the importance of making a small contribution to help the effort. Thank you. Uh, I and, appreciate uh, that. Uh, you know, all across the country, we're not. We got a great thing going, and let's keep it going through 2020. I know you will, Kelly. Thanks for coming in. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, when we come back, Tiff- Tiffany Muller is going to join us from End Citizens this United. Another is the great Bill challenge. Press show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. 44 former senators stand up and say it's time for this United States Senate to stand up to Donald Trump and defend our democracy, Republicans and Democrats alike. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Here we are on Tuesday, Tuesday, December 11. Great to see you today. And thanks for joining us here. The Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital and our studio right here on Capitol Hill. Uh, Good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. We've got lots and lots to talk about, lots of news on, uh, well, first of all, on the Russian front. Yes, one more Russian connection uh, coming forward. A woman by the name of Maria Butina, identified now as a Russian spy, and she is now cooperating with federal prosecutors about uh, what reportedly was her arrangement in uh, taking money from Russian oligarchs, funneling it, funneling it through the NRA in defense of Donald Trump. Of course, don't call it collusion because Donald Trump says there was no collusion. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, that's just one of the big issues we've got to talk about. And we're also going to talk this half hour about campaign finance reform, such an important issue. Say it's the root of all evil here in Washington, I believe, uh, with Citizens United. How about ending Citizens United? That's the uh, object of uh, the organization, End Citizens United, whose president, Tiffany Muller, joins us in studio. Tiffany, good to see you. Great to see you again. Thanks so much for having yeah. me. No, thanks for coming in. This is such an important issue I care so much about, and so do you. Uh, so get ready to send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Uh, we'll take uh, first headlines from Peter and then t- t- with Tiffany Muller about End Citizens United. But first. 
I'll get there eventually. The full court press. <laughs> you got it. Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, did you go to the gym this morning? Uh, not yet. Slacker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Uh, I, I know you go to the gym, right? You go to the gym. But yeah. when you go to the gym, do you lift weights? Or do you do muscle building, muscle strengthening exercise? Uh, I usually do a combination of cardio and weights. Okay, well, that's good to hear because there's a new study out that says 58% of U.S. adults do no muscle strengthening exercise at all. They think they just could go and do the cardio, but they mm-hmm. don't build mm-hmm. any muscle. Now, muscle building doesn't necessarily mean lifting weights. It can mean things like push-ups, sit-ups, climbing mm-hmm. stairs, uh, a hike up a hill. Cycling is also good for that. Uh, but they're saying that, again, 58% of uh, adults don't do it. Muscle strengthening exercises are just as important as cardio. Uh, doctors say it's been linked to such health benefits as improved cardiovascular health, better blood sugar control, improvements in bone density, better balance, mobility, and lots of other things. So right, it's good to know that. Next time you go to the gym, not just you, but anybody listening, Make sure you lift a little weights or do some do some muscle building exercises, right? Got it. All Thank right, you, so doctor. Y- you got it. You got <laughs> it. Well, we're getting close to the uh, end of the year. So, what is going to be the color of the year for 2019? Pantone, the global authority on color, has declared the color of the year for 2019, and it is purple. No, oh, I'm sorry. Well, you got to get more creative than that. <laughs> Living Coral. Living Coral is the color of the year. Now, this, of course, being uh, you know, a, a radio, we're not going to be able to necessarily show it to you, but it, it is exactly what it sounds like. It's a, a, a healthy-looking, orangish color of coral. How did that become the color of the year? Hey, don't ask and me. And who decides? Pantone. These are the people that oh, okay. they, they are tastemakers in the world of color, Bill. They're the ones that made the decision. Right. And Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors, one of the best players in basketball, but he just got in a little bit of hot water. He was on the Ringers podcast winging it with several other NBA players, and all four of them, Andre Iguodala, Vince Carter, and Kit Bazemore, all of them said they do not believe that we landed on the moon. In fact... What? I'm not kidding. I, I know. I I'm saw not kidding. that. What In fact, idiot. one of them said, you need to talk to Stanley Kubrick about that. <laughs> because some people think that Stanley Kubrick actually filmed it. You know, <laughs> just go ahead and dribble, right? As Laura Ingram said. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, here we go. It is the Bill Press Show on this Tuesday, December 11. Yes, Donald Trump had told so many lies that the Washington Post today has come up with an entire all-new category just to fit Donald Trump. They call it bottomless Pinocchios. Not No, four Pinocchios. That was their top. Uh, ranking, if you will, for lies before, but Donald Trump exceeds that, so far exceeds that, that they have this whole new category. Uh, And he's at it again this morning. Great to see you on a Tuesday, December 11, as we reach out to you coast to coast from our studio right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day. Thank you for joining us online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. 
Good to see you on the radio out on the great WCPT in Chicago and the greater Chicago area. And also, thank you for joining us on television. Looking good out there in television land on Free Speech TV. Uh, here, our guest in studio, Tiffany Muller, is president of the great organization ECU, or End Citizens United. Tiffany, again, great for coming in. Thank, thank you, for you so much in. for having me. Yeah. By the way, just one little uh, other item of business. I mentioned about these lies. One of the lies that Donald Trump has told, let me see, 86 times, okay. according to the Washington Post this morning, he has said the, on the wall that we're already building the wall, and I'm very proud of that. 86 times the Washington Post has proven we are not building the wall. There's some little fencing here and there. There's some prototypes of what we're not building the wall. I just want to point out that just 24 minutes ago, Donald Trump tweeted yet again. Oops, if I can get pick it up here. People do not yet realize how much of the wall has already been built. <laughs> so he tweeted this out in uh, advance of his meeting today with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi yeah. trying to get funding for the wall. So I guess the Washington Post has to say now it is 87 times. <laughs> It'll be 90 before the day's over. Oh, yeah. If that, yeah, even yeah. maybe <laughs> maybe even more. But it just keeps going on and on and on. They prove these apps. And that's just one of the many lies at the Washington Post. You, you need 20, by the way, so you need to have told the same lie 20 times at least to get in the bottomless Pinocchio category. Wow. Um, there's only one person, the Washington Post says, on the planet who has that distinction yet. And, of course, it's Donald Trump. Uh, so 20 times the, the the claim that he's responsible for the biggest tax cut in history, which, of course, is not true. He is told, according to the Washington Post, 123 times. Wow. Wow. So, so in a sense, building the wall, and we're proud of it, is not quite even in that <laughs> it's only what 80, 80 86, 87 now, 87 now, right? Um, end Citizens United. Remind us again what what the decision is, when it happened, and what it does, just so we set the scene. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Citizens United was a Supreme Court decision in January 2010 that took two really terrible ideas and merged them together. It said corporations are people. And money equals speech, and it put a for sale sign on our democracy. Um, so in this, in the election cycle right before Citizens United was decided, 2008, there was 143 million dollars of outside spending in our elections. That's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. In 2016, that had risen to 1.4 billion dollars. Oh, and we're still uh, tallying up what 2018 is going to total, but it looked like it was at least 1.2 or 1.3 billion dollars for a midterm, right? So we've had a 900 percent increase in uh, unlimited and undisclosed money flooding into our election system since Citizens United was decided. And what it causes is it causes the American people to feel like they don't have a voice in their government that their voice doesn't matter as much as people with a bigger check. They're not wrong. They're right about that. Um, and so at End Citizens United, our very simple mission is to overturn Citizens United and to undo the damage that this big money and this flood of unlimited and undisclosed money is causing our democracy. Um, I just I do want to point out that End Citizens United 
Citizens, so Citizens United, pardon me, Citizens United was an organization. It was. Uh, it is. It is. It is. They right. still endorse candidates. and Yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, um, David Bossy, who's uh, yes. looking to be Trump's chief of staff. I was uh, just going to mention what? the link here is a David Bossy, who was the head, is still the head, the head yeah. then and the, still the head of Citizens United, um, was the deputy camp a deputy campaign manager uh, because Rick Gates yes. was the other one. Yeah. I forget exactly what David Bossy's role, but he was way up there in the campaign. Yes. Uh, has so far resisted having a job in the Trump White House, but he's a 100% Trumper. He and Corey Lewandowski have yep. written one book, uh, two books now together. Um, uh, and the he's being rumored today as Donald Trump is now trying to get him into the White House as his chief of staff. Exactly. Because of his experience with the impeachment process. Exactly. Under Clinton, I guess, who was part part of that movement. Uh, and what we know is that he actually believes that uh, we need more money in politics, not less. Um, we tend to think that most people, because we know most Americans agree all uh, across party lines, Republicans, independents, Democrats, that there's way too much money in politics and that. Um, but folks like David Bossie, they think that actually there's not enough. Um, so there's not enough dark money or foreign money going into the NRA. They think there should be more. Um, we think that we should stop that. Uh, so end Citizens United. It was a decision of the Supreme Court, as you point out, in 2010. Does that mean the only way to stop it is another Supreme Court decision? And what are the chances of that with Neil Gorsuch and John Roberts and not to mention all the rest, and Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court. Uh, or a constitutional amendment. Um, so there are a couple of— You can of, do it either way. Yes, yes, absolutely. The other thing we can do, though, and both of those are hard, right? Yeah. I mean, first we need to take back the Senate. We need to make sure we have the right votes in the Senate so that we can get the right justices and judges uh, approved to both the appellate level and the Supreme Court level. Because um, it has to work its way up to the Supreme exactly, Court, of course. Exactly. Yeah. So far, you know, the vote was five to four when it was decided in January 2010. Um, right now, we predict that if it was reheard, it the vote would still be five to four um, uh, because Kennedy was replaced by Kavanaugh, but Kennedy wrote the decision for Citizens United. He actually was pro Citizens United mm. ruling. Mm -hmm. um, but outside of that, taking a step back. There are about me, I just think that's an important point to make because people think of Kennedy as, you know, St. Anthony Kennedy. Right. Yeah. He was good on some issues. He was bad on some issues, too. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, and this and is he, one where he was dead wrong. He was absolutely wrong and naively wrong, right? He believed that money itself didn't corrupt the system. He said that. And his, he said that in, in the, the ruling. Majority ruling. Um, and, you know, we know that's just wrong. Uh, we know that people are buying access and influence with money. We know that um, that uh, they're buying time with members of Congress. They're setting the agenda here. Um, everything from – we only have to look back at the tax bill fight, right? Uh, a tax bill where, you know, so much of the benefits went to corporations and the top 1%. And you had Republican lawmakers saying, my big donors are telling me, pass this or don't come back to me and ask for mm -hmm. donations. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like it was very they clear. They said that. They right. said it publicly. Right. Absolutely. Um, so but if we take a step back, there are 
25 good bills sitting in Congress right now that we could vote and pass tomorrow that would start to clean up our system. Things like the Disclose Act, so that we at least know where every dollar coming into our elections it comes from. Um, you were talking about the Russia and NRA connection just a minute ago. Yeah. And part of that is because there are certain organizations that don't have to disclose their donors, right? And they can spend unlimited money on elections, but they don't have to say where that money's coming from. Um, we believe that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Supreme yeah, Court said know. that you, we should have disclosure and transparency. Um, so that's one. We can empower small dollar donors. At In Citizens United, we're grassroots powered. We have four million members across the country. We know almost half of donations that came into Democratic candidates this past cycle was from small dollar donors. How much? Uh, almost half. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And we should be incentivizing that. We should be encouraging people to Absolutely. engage in our democracy. Um, and we can do that. Um, we can make sure that there are clearer lines between super PACs and candidates so that we don't have illegal coordination. We can make it easier to vote rather than harder to vote. We can make sure vote. Uh, we have fair partisan uh, redistricting rather than gerrymandered redistricting. Um, so we can actually pass all of those things and start to take back our democracy without a constitutional amendment or a Supreme Court change. Right now, what we lack is what we lacked before was the votes in both the House and the Senate to get it done. What's amazing is that because of this last election, uh, we really believe that we're going to be able to pass the most comprehensive reform package that we've seen in a generation uh, through the House. Isn't there such a bill already introduced um, or at least talked about? It's being talked about right now. It's uh, and everyone's calling it H.R. One, the Anti-Corruption and Clean Elections Act. I know a speaker to be. Yes. uh, Nancy Pelosi talked about it last week. Absolutely. And Congressman John Sarbanes, who's taken a lead on these issues. He's been great on this issue. So fantastic. Um, And we've worked really closely. We've got to get him back in. John Sarbanes. Yeah. Uh, He would love to. He would love to. And, you know, so and then uh, but all of leadership. um, it has come on board and said, yes, let's get H.R. 1 done. Let's reform our system, clean up uh, our government, crack down on corruption, and let's restore the trust and faith that voters can have in our system. Um, and what's amazing is this new class of freshman Democrats, um, the largest class since Watergate, which I don't think is a coincidence, <laughs> 107 of the candidates signed a letter in October to the House of Representatives saying the very first bill we should pass is a reform bill that takes on these issues. Um, and out of the 63 new Democratic members, I think it's something like 50 of them signed this letter. Hmm. Um, so there's real momentum behind this effort. And again, it's three major buckets. It is making sure it is easier to vote and protecting the right to vote, Um, making sure that when you're elected to public office, you behave yourself and that we crack down on people who aren't behaving themselves and that we start to uh, do away with the influence of big money in politics. I want to come back to this central uh, premise, which is that money is free speech, uh, which was not begun in Citizens United, right? It's Marbury versus Madison. No, that's too old. Uh, that was That's John Marshall. Uh, <laughs> Buckley v. Vallejo. Buckley v. Vallejo. Yeah. Thank you. No problem. But but that's what was in the 50s, wasn't it? 70s. It 70s? was after, okay. the, uh, after the Watergate reforms were passed in 74. 
Um, this was one of the cases that came out of the Federal Election Commission Act. Uh, well, I, and laws. I know it's generally accepted. I've never been able to understand it. I mean, if people don't have equal dollars, which they don't, then how can they? How can they have equal speech if one person has more money and is able to spend more money in politics? I mean, to me, it's just on the surface of it, it doesn't add up. And yet it's been accepted and now continued uh, as the law, not the law, I guess the law of the land. It is the law of the land. It's a Supreme Court ruling. Um, We agree. We could overturn Citizens United tomorrow and we still have big problems in our system that come from a series of what we view as very (laughs) bad decisions. Um, At the same time, we know that in places where they have put in place public financing to encourage small dollar donors to get involved in their democracy, that we have that it works, right? That more people get engaged, more people vote, more people give to candidates. It also allows more candidates to be able to run and to be able to afford to run because we're mm-hmm. also at a point where only certain people are able to actually afford to run for office, yeah, which is right. not what we want in our democracy. Um, so that's one of the reasons we're so excited about this bill and how it incentivizes small dollar donors and how we can put in place a nas- nationwide voluntary public financing system. That's really exciting. That that starts to fundamentally change the access of power in our system. Right. I mean, and all, uh, you know, first Bernie, and not that he was very, maybe it was first with Howard Dean, but then Bernie and, and Beta O'Rourke have proven you can raise as much money as anybody else can without taking $1 from PACs. Absolutely. Um, And we have seen the steady increase in grassroots funded small dollar donors who are funding not just uh, campaigns or big campaigns that you've heard about, but also out of these. We worked with candidates across the country this year, and so many of them were had these crazy fundraising quarters and crazy fundraising halls. But it was because of small dollar donors. Um, Right. We saw some of these House challengers raising over three million dollars a quarter. Uh, Those are Senate type numbers. Yeah. But it was all because people were so excited uh, and getting engaged in the system. And, you know, that's how we're funded. Um, We -hmm. started in March 2015. And in 2016, we did twenty five million dollars for that cycle. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. But this past cycle, we did forty five million. Yeah. With a $15 average contribution. Um, It's just people know that if they band together, their voices and their collective power can be stronger than the big money donors. And citizensunited.org, right? And And that's right. And follow us on Twitter at Stop Big Money. At Stop Big Money or andcitizensunited.org. So you you mentioned uh, these kind of new uh, experiments. Uh, in terms of raising money, I'm blanking. It may be Portland, Oregon, or somewhere that w- that someone told us about here on the program, where they actually give a voucher to people. Uh, Seattle just instituted a new system. So, you know, everybody gets like 25 bucks, and you can spend it for whatever candidate. Yeah, and what we what we found is it's working, right? It, I love that idea. Yeah, I mean, everybody becomes yeah. a donor. Yeah, and in Maine, uh, they have a clean election system that everyone abides by. And what we have found is that it's allowed more diverse candidates to be able to run for office. 
uh, and having a more robust primary system and um, just a more active democracy. It's what we should be working toward. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And what we know is this issue, the issue of rooting out public corruption and getting money out of politics was a key reason why people voted this year. They're so tired of the system, right? That 93% of Americans think our government's working for just a few big interests. And again, they're right. Yeah. Um, and so we did a post-election poll in the battleground districts. And what it showed is that the number two reason why people voted was because of public corruption in our government. It was behind only health care. Health, yeah. Health care. Health care, number one. It was the number one reason among independents, hmm. right? And what we found is that we had this class of candidates who was running on this issue. Uh, we endorsed um, we endorsed 60, I think 60 of them. And 36 of the new members of the House uh, said they weren't going to take any corporate PAC money at all because they're trying to show leadership to their voters. They're yeah. saying, when I sit down at the table to make a decision, you know I'm going to be working just for you. Yeah. Um, and we know that that was a really powerful, really persuasive, really winning issue because voters are looking for, how do I know you're going there to work for me? What I love about that is it used to be not so long ago that what we heard from even good people, our friends, was, look, we've got to get the money out of politics, but at the same time, until the game changes, until the rules change, I've got to play the game. Yep. You know, to to, to yep. do what I want to get done. So therefore, I have to take the corporate money. I have to take the PEC money. That's no longer the case. I mean, no, we. No, are. I'm saying they were sincere at the time. They just were not thinking big enough, right, yeah. and bold enough. And again, people today have proven you don't have to do. You don't have to do that. You can do it on small dollar. Uh, donations. You don't have to take any PAC money. It's amazing, isn't it? We have. What's wrong with having a a limit on um, on campaign kinds of? But what what is constitutionally wrong with having saying yes, you can give to a candidate, but you can only give two hundred bucks or something? Well, and has that has that been tested? What we know is that limits to candidates have been upheld. So oh, okay. you are limited in what you can give directly to a candidate. The part that hasn't been upheld uh, is that you can spend anything you want in an election as long as you don't coordinate with the candidate. So you could go start a if I was running for Congress, you could only give me uh, twenty seven hundred dollars for the primary and twenty seven hundred dollars for the general. But then you could go start a super PAC and put a million dollars in Tiffany Rocks and yeah. uh, these are the so-called independent expenditures. Right. Is that it? Yeah. yeah. So five hundred one c four groups, which we often call dark money groups, super PACs, um, party committees. Right. Like there are lots of ways that bigger donors are funneling money. And as you point out, in twenty sixteen, that amounted to one point four. One point four billion dollars. Billion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Up from 143 million in 2008, and I think most of your listeners would say they felt like there was plenty of money in politics in 2008 too. Is, um, the, is the ultimate answer public financing of campaigns? We believe so. Um, we believe that that absolutely <laughs> changes the entire dynamic around. But there has to be a test um, for that. I mean, you can't just give anybody who comes in off the street right and says, "I want to run for 
I'm a I'm a candidate for Congress. Give me <laughs> give me five thousand dollars or whatever. Uh, most uh, most states obviously have kind of thresholds of what they have to do to get on the ballot and what they have to do to participate in these systems. And we've seen these systems work in places from Seattle to Maine to New York. Um, so they've been tested. We know that they work. We know that they invite more candidates into the system and more participation from everyday voters. And um, we we know that it'll be upheld by the court. A voluntary public financing system will be upheld by the court, too. Right. Um, I want to come back to the uh, I know we're jumping all around, but there's <laughs> so many aspects of this uh, to, to this constitutional amendment. OK, I'm a thousand percent behind you, but I've always had questions about this the constitutional amendment because I'm afraid that once you open up the constitution at a constitutional convention, <clears throat> some other things we might hold dear could disappear. Uh, we, we support the constitutional amendment approach rather than the constitutional convention approach mm-hmm. for the same okay. reason. Yeah. Um, and obviously we've amended the constitution before. Uh, it is hard. It is a long process. But also, we know that over 85% of Americans agree that we need to overturn Citizens United. Right. That includes 78% of Republicans. Um, the only folks who want to protect this system are the big money donors who are actually uh, rigging the system for themselves and lining their own pockets with it. So what do you need? Two thirds of each house? And, and three quarters of the states. Yeah. Um, the great thing is, is we've seen real momentum at the state level. Um there have already, I think it'd be easier to get the states than the Congress. Yeah, there. I mean, this Congress. I mean, right. Yeah. <laughs> there have already been. Uh, I think it's twenty states now that have passed um, statewide ballot measures to overturn Citizens United. Um, additionally, we just this past cycle in twenty eighteen, um, we passed three out of four ballot measures we were working on, which often were these really comprehensive ballot measures that included things like cleaning up gift rules, cracking down on ethics problems, uh, putting in limits or disclosure. Um, So states are saying, look, our system is really broken. We're going to take this on ourselves. So we're seeing real leadership out of the states on this issue. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, uh, the question I asked um, uh, Kelly Dietrich earlier on uh, with the uh, I know you work together with uh, the National Democratic Training Committee. They're wonderful. Um, what can what can people do to be part of this movement uh, toward campaign finance reform and and especially and particularly ending Citizens United? Well, I hope that what do you need? Uh, we need more people to get involved. We need people to raise their voices. We have a chance to pass the most historic, comprehensive. Uh, reform package that we have seen in a generation. We need everyone to pick up their phone and call their member of Congress and tell them to get it done. Um, It has to be H.R. 1. It needs to be the first thing out of the gate. So we need their help uh, getting that done. And if you go to incitizensunited.org, our website will help direct you to how to do that. You can also follow us at Stop Big Money on Twitter. And I'm uh, at Tiffany D- underscore Muller, M-U-L-L-E-R. Right. Uh, this H, is it, does it have an official, you said they're calling it HR1. So HR1. people say HR1, people will know what they're talking uh, about. Yes, they But will. you know what would be great is, I mean, there's, for if the, the, the new Democratic leadership, everybody's saying, you know, what are they going to be doing? They're going to overplay their hand. They're going to be too many hearings, whatever. I mean, I, I keep saying, no, you can count on Nancy Pelosi. She's going to have a strong democratic progressive agenda that they're going to be pushed and it's going to include 
such things as taking care of prescription drugs, maybe infrastructure, yeah. um, helping people with pre-existing conditions. This one, at the as the very first, would send a very powerful message about who Democrats are, what they stand for. Absolutely. And here's what we know. Right now, voters... Start, yeah, but voters, this whole complex issue. Yeah, voters actually feel like both Democrats and Republicans are too tied to big money. Yeah. And they don't trust either party. So this actually helps restore some <clears> of their trust so that then when we tackle complex problems like prescription drugs, infrastructure, jobs in the economy... Yeah. Uh, we've built up some of the faith of voters in our system. This would really drain the swamp. It would actually drain the swamp. <laughs> <laughs> we don't just talk about it. We do it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Tiffany, great work. Thanks uh, so much thank for what you're so doing. Thank you so much for having me. And Citizens United. It's ncitizensunited.org. So sign up. Be part of the movement here. Uh, we'll take a quick break. Pamela Levy joins us from Mother Jones. Uh, talk about all the other political issues of the day when we come back here. On Tuesday, December 11, the Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. And on a Tuesday, December 11, uh, the Bill Press Show. Joining you all across this great land of ours from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., live on this Tuesday with the news of the day. Good to have you with us. And um, thanks for joining us online, on the radio, and on television. Uh, Holiday time, uh, you know, we're getting close and uh, you're stuck with ideas for uh, something for someone that you love, the very, very, very special. Unlike anything else you might find anywhere else, take a look at uh, our website, BillPressShow.com, and follow the link to Carol Press Scarves, and you'll find... Now, those of you watching on television this morning can see... This is my favorite color. I love purple. I'm not sure I wore today what goes with purple, so if I'm not color-coordinated, I apologize. But fashion faux pas. Fashion faux pas. <laughs> but nonetheless, it is a fantastic, one-of-a-kind, hand-woven scarf by my wife, Carol Press, the real talent in the family. Uh, check out, again, all the different colors and designs that are available on our web- uh, her website, if, but if you go to BillPressShow.com, follow the link to Carol Press scarf, Scarves, and they're either um, like this, rayon chenille, in many different colors, or bamboo also. Very, very soft and beautiful. So um, this is it for yourself. Treat yourself to one or someone that you love. BillPressShow.com, Carol Press Scarves. And say hello with me to Pema Levy from Mother Jones, Political reporter and all around, you know, covering what's going on in the news today. Hi, Pema. Hi. Good to see you. Good uh, to be here. Yeah, and um, we've been heard from a lot of our listeners and viewers this morning on various issues. Peter? Yes, indeed. We are on them. Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Remember yesterday we talked about the poll that we put up. Will oh, Donald yeah. Trump spend time in jail as and a again, result that's important. of not, the Mueller investigation? Will he, not should he. Not should he, but will he. I mean, should he would be 100%, right? But, <laughs> you would think yeah. so. Okay. Well, the poll is now closed. Oh, okay. 39% of you say yes, mm. he will. 48% of you say no. 13% of you are undecided. We appreciate all of you who voted. A couple of comments on that poll, by the way. Clyde says, the country deserves the right and respect to be made whole again. Moreover, every penny that he cheated the American people out of, he needs to be held accountable for that. Also, Anthony says, this man has lived his whole life to this point, getting away with all sorts of evil crap. Now he is doing it on a much larger scale as a result of his getting away with the crap we the people 
are going to pay a healthy price for it. So remember, we put up polls as often as we can there at BP Show, at BP Show. Make sure you check it out and vote whenever we put one up. Uh, and the poll was triggered really by the comments of uh, Congressman Adam Schiff, the incoming chair of the House Intelligence Committee, who said that um, if the Mueller report really comes down with some serious stuff, Donald Trump might end up serving some. Here, okay, let's I listen to Adam Schiff. My takeaway is there's a very real prospect that uh, on the day Donald Trump leaves office, the Justice Department uh, may indict him, uh, that he may be the first president uh, in quite some time to face the real prospect of jail time. And Pema, that's based on the U.S. attorney in New York this week saying that Michael Cohen violated the law by making some illegal payments, um, but Donald Trump ordered him to do so, so therefore he is sort of uh, bears the um, the Nixon honor of being called an unindicted co-conspirator. Right, right. Ex- exactly, exactly. It, the, the jail question is interesting. I, I have to say I always sort of assumed that, you know, that he could always sort of step down in a way that he could get his um, the person after him to pardon him. Um, you know, if that person's Elizabeth Warren, I don't know if that would if she, if she would do that. But if it's Mike Pence, I think uh, that he probably would. Uh, and so, you know, that there's always that hanging over all of this, right, is is the is the presidential pardon. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think the last week we've just shown, you know, that the amount of trouble that that Donald Trump potentially in here just keeps going up and up and up. Um, and and exactly with Michael Cohen, you have a situation where it's it's comp- conspiracy to commit fraud. Right. Uh, and CNN reports this morning uh, several sources from inside the White House that Trump is talking a lot about impeachment. He uh, is worried about impeachment, worried that Democrats are going to, you know, even though Jerry Nadler, incoming head of judiciary, says that's not our first priority. We're going to hold some oversight hearings. And every, almost everybody says, with few exceptions, you know, Maxine Waters certainly won, but with few exceptions, they're saying, let's wait and see what Mueller comes up with, and then we'll see if these are impeachable offenses. Even Jerry Nadler said the campaign finance violations was an impeachable offense. That doesn't mean we would impeach him for it, right? Right. Um, but meaning he broke the law. So um, the the but if Donald Donald Trump is again according to CNN so worried about the potential of impeachment that he's considering as his new chief of staff David Bossy from Citizens United because Bossy played some role in the Clinton impeachment hearings, right? Right. So right. he wants somebody who's been around the track with the president who was being impeached. Right. Right. I mean, I would. If, it's always tricky, right, when you hear these things coming from the White House, because on the one hand, it's possible that they just want to paint the incoming Democrats as like crazy and a threat. So, of course, they're, you know, even when the Democrats yeah. are trying to downplay the whole impeachment thing, they're going to just raise it oh, again. Oh, absolutely. Um, like they did during the campaign, right? Right. Just to scare exactly. people. Exactly. Yeah. So it's possible that that's part of it. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, Donald Trump has been known to be a bit paranoid. Um, and so I, you know, I think that he might actually be worried about it. I don't think he needs to be worried about it because, uh, because I don't think this, he, you know, the Senate is is with him. He ha- he has the Senate. There's no way, you know, you're getting a supermajority of the Senate on this. No, uh, it, it, worried though to the extent that it would consume all the time, right? That 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 that, that on both the part of the Congress and the White House, as we saw before with the Clinton thing, right? 
But right. if you have impeachment hearings going on, the rest of the world stops. Right? They don't have time for anything else. Right, right, right. I think his more immediate concerns are members of his family being indicted <laughs> and going to jail. And as uh, Adam Schiff said, you know, the prospect of uh, that um, legal liability coming down on him when he does leave office. Yeah. Uh, we have seen um, uh, uh, related to this is what's happening at the Justice Department. Uh, having put Matt Whitaker in as acting attorney general, a man who was not certain, not confirmed by the Senate, was an issue, seems to have taken care of that issue now by appointing someone, nominating someone who has to be confirmed as right. the next attorney general, uh, William Barr. What do we know about him? Yeah. So William Barr, it's funny, he's sort of someone who I think was a a big player on the scene decades ago, actually. He was sort of like a young up-and-comer in the Reagan and George uh, H.W. Bush administrations, Uh, became attorney general at 41 in, I think, 1991. Under H.W. Under H.W., yeah. He sort of rose quickly under H.W. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And so he served for a couple of years, and then he he left public office, you know, when the Clintons came in— um, in the 2000s, he worked for Verizon for a long time, um, and now he's been at Kirkland and Ellis, which is a big uh, Washington firm. So it's interesting because on the one hand, you know, Trump is sort of saying, okay, the unconventional choice of Matthew Whitaker, who seems like pretty unqualified, <laughs> um, you know, potentially involved in some fraud of his own, actually not potentially, definitely involved in some fraud. Mm-hmm. Um you know, you know, we'll we'll go back to sort of like a normal choice. You know, like a Washington person. They've they've been in these you know public service jobs. This person has actually been attorney general before. Um, but this is also someone who's very conservative. Uh, this is someone who uh, you know his record from back then shows that he very strongly believes in uh, executive power. Uh, you know, in the, in the power of the president. Um, this is someone who has you know been a tough on crime uh, kind of guy. And so, you know, I think he still aligns with the president's uh, goals and and with someone who would be sympathetic to, you know, protecting the president um, because they have expansive views of, of the president's power. Do we know? First, first of all, it, it, it's not surprising that Donald Trump would choose a conservative. Right. It, it Maybe it's a little surprising he would choose an establishment conservative. Bill, Bill Barr is clearly part of the Washington Republican establishment, right. respected as such, and uh, and Donald Trump said actually last week, or I guess it was Friday when he announced this, or Saturday when he was on his way to the Army Navy game, I forget, um, that Barr was his first choice to begin with. <laughs> so much another sort of slap at Jeff Sessions, right? <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah, if I could have had him, if he'd said yes. In the beginning, right? I wouldn't have gotten stuck with Jeff Sessions, right? Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So, I, uh, if you believe that, then he offered the job to Barr. Barr at one time said, no, I don't want it. It surprises me that two years later, having seen two years of the Trump administration, that now he would take it. Yeah, no, I think, I, I'm sure that Jeff Sessions was his first choice there. I, I, yeah, I would yeah, okay. I would think so. Yeah, he just likes to, you know, yeah, he likes, right. just likes to be mean. Uh, but I, <laughs> I mean, you know, he does, he does, he, he, he does yeah, that. Yeah, yes. Uh, I think he would admit that. He can't resist it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, But I I think I'm going to be really interested to see how Barr turns out. On the one hand, he is a, like you said, an establishment person. He, you know, wants to go. He is aware of his place in history, you know, and 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 
you know, his role as attorney general in the way that I don't know that Matthew Whitaker really you You're know, assuming he'll be confirmed. That way. I am assuming he'll be confirmed. Right. Yes. What do we know about his feelings about the independent investigation of uh, the special counsel, Robert Mueller? Well, he's said some things that would make folks nervous about it, actually. Uh, and I, I think that's sort of what's interesting here is that you have an establishment person. Um, but once he was picked and we all went and we're like, oh, let's Google him. What has he said recently? There's been like sort of dribbles over the last two years of him, you know, commenting to reporters um, basically taking Trump's side, uh, you know, on like these big issues of, you know, presidential power and the investigation. And I think sort of most shockingly, um, <clears throat> excuse me, about a year ago, he um, commented to The New York Times that he felt like there wasn't a really strong basis, uh, you know, for this investigation into collusion between Trump and Russia and that there actually was more um, evidence there for an investigation into the Uranium One scandal um, of Hillary oh, Clinton, God. which I will remind God. you has literally been debunked by the Justice Department and is yeah, a phony yeah, conspiracy yeah, theory. It's, yeah, it's not a I thing. Mean, right. uh, and so, you know, that's, maybe it was just sort of off the cuff. Maybe he hasn't looked into uh, it that much. Troubling. Yeah. But it is definitely a, a troubling thing. And, and certainly this is someone who, you know, this is not a special, this is a special counsel. It's not a, an independent counsel, um, which we had after Watergate. Uh, and I think there were some legitimate questions about, uh, you know, the powers that, that we gave mm -hmm, to, to mm -hmm, prosecutors after mm -hmm. that happened. Uh, but he certainly was critical of independent counsels. And so I think he's generally, you know, as I said, it comes sort of with the territory of believing in presidential power. You're very skeptical of investigations of the president. Kavanaugh fit in that uh, same boat. There's, you know, sort of a, a through line here of, of the president picking people who don't really want to be investigating the president. Right. Um, well, so uh, th there will be uh, a fish, I guess, has this, I don't even know whether this nomination has been officially sent to the Senate, but we're going to have. I, I don't either. But I assume that the Senate will confirm him. I think a lot of people are probably uncomfortable with Matthew Whitaker sitting there and would like to get someone else in there. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, and you got to say, I mean, uh, Bill Barr is the real deal. He wouldn't be someone that we would pick for attorney general, but. Right. I mean, he's literally been attorney general. Yeah, he has. Right. <laughs> he knows, knows. At least he knows. At, at least he knows what the Justice Department's job is. Right. And one would hope he also has some strong if he feels strongly about the a powerful executive for protecting the president. I would ho also hope he would feel equally strongly about the protecting the independence of the Justice Department. And as former attorney general, there may be some grounds for for that. Right. I, I we'll find I, out. Yeah. 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 Uh, you've been looking into um, th uh, on several fronts. We have seen Wisconsin. I'm talking Wisconsin. I'm talking Michigan. Um, I'm talking even the U.S. Congress. Republicans having lost in the midterms desperately before the end of the year, trying to undo maybe the results of the midterms uh, and or undermine what was happening or weaken the power of the people who are coming in. That's happening with the governor in, in Wisconsin, the governor in Michigan. Um, they tried to take another stab at James Comey last week here, Republicans in Congress. And in Florida, they're trying to undo the results of an initiative down there you've been writing about. Yeah, exactly. The initiative which would, first of all. Exactly. So this was, you know, really one of the, the biggest things that happened on election night was in Florida. Huge. Voters approved Amendment 4. Amendment 4 gave voting rights to former felons who have completed their sentence unless you committed murder or a sexual felony. Most of them African-American men. 
Right? Uh, disproportionately. Disproportionately. Yeah. Okay. Afri- yeah African American men. The uh, yeah. figure that I remember, it, it, the, the total number equaled like 10% of the Florida voting population? Yes, and 20% of. Um, uh, of uh, African Americans who are voting age. Well, that's a huge enormous. block of votes. Yes, yeah. it's enormous. Um, it comes out to you know we're not totally sure, but maybe around 1.4 million people affected here. Um, and so we're really looking at correcting. If they, been, if they I'm sorry to keep jumping yeah. in. Had they been able to vote, Andrew Gillum would be governor of Florida. I, I think it's quite possible. I mean, Andrew Bill Gillum, Nelson would be U.S. senator from Florida. I think it's quite possible. I mean, you know, those those two lost by. You know, a, ha- yeah, a handful, yeah, a handful of votes. Of votes. Uh, so, so it's quite possible. And we're, you know, we're looking at you know the voters of Florida deciding to correct an injustice that goes back to Jim Crow. I mean, we're t- we're talking about you know a really epic situation here. Um, and what we're starting to see is uh, the Republicans sort of going, "Oh wow, we really didn't think this would pass. Um, maybe we're going to have to pass some legislation to like." You know, implement it, but really, it's just going to slow it down. Um, you know, we're having the the Republican Secretary of State not wanting to implement it right away, and I think what we're seeing here is the beginnings of basically obstruction of saying, you know, mm. we lost this one at the ballot box, but we're going to do what we can um, because we run the state, because we run the legislature, uh, to make sure that this doesn't have the effects that it could have. You know, it could have these this transform transformative effect on Florida. Uh, and I think that we're seeing the beginning of what will be a, a concerted effort to um, make sure that the effect is as minimal as possible. Do they have time to do this? Well, interesting question there, actually. Uh, the amendment goes into effect on January 8th. So on January 8th, if you've completed the terms of your sentence, you can walk into uh, your registrar's office or go on the Internet and register to vote. Uh, I imagine that some people will reject those registrations and that you'll have lawsuits pretty much immediately. The legislature actually doesn't come into session until March. So you've got basically two months of people probably attempting to register, different results in different counties, lawsuits being filed. And then the legislature could step in and say, we need to pass legislation. And, you know, I was talking to someone yesterday who was saying that they just imagine something where it's like, yeah, you can register, but we need you to go out and get the proof that you've completed all of the terms of your sentence. You're going to need to get it notarized. You're going to have to have a letter from your parole officer. You're going to have to have a letter from the state. We're going to need to see your birth certificate. You're going to need to make two different trips. You're going to have to do a fingerprint. And like pretty soon, like no one's going to go through those steps. How about a right? poll tax? Right. So you just, you know, you basically... <laughs> so I'm foreseeing a lot of litigation, but I think there was a lot of excitement that... This would be transformative already in 2020. You would have, you know, a flood of people coming back into the electorate in Florida who have been locked out for years and, and decades. Um, and that, I think, is really in question right now uh, because, you know, we're, we're seeing the beginnings of what could be a, a concerted effort to, to make it have as little impact as possible. And the difference in Florida is, unlike Michigan or unlike Wisconsin, there is not a changing of the guard. So. The Republican, the legislature now controlled by the Republicans and the governorship and the secretary of state in the new year will still be Republican controlled. Right. Right. So. Yeah. Um, exactly. So exactly. What they don't get done before the end of the year, they could pick up and make it worse in 2019. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I mean, They're despite, not operating on the same timeline as as the folks in Wisconsin and Michigan right, and North right. Carolina, and and thereby thwarting the will, will of the voters. But, but they don't care. 
right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's actually pretty interesting if you look at uh, <laughs> the amendment process in Florida, the initiative process. You know, Floridans, <laughs> Floridians can go to the polls and change their state constitution with 60% of the vote. So this, this got 64% of the vote. This isn't 51%, it's 64%. Yeah. And there is a long and rich history of the Florida legislature ignoring that, <laughs> of really just not even doing what the voters want on issue after issue. Um, you know, they go to the polls and they say one thing, and then the legislature comes back into session and go, eh, we don't really feel like it. Right. Uh, so uh, it's not exactly new in that regard. Um, but I do think that, that, you know, for once there'll be some national scrutiny on what's going on there. Right. Uh, I must say Mother Jones has done some of the very best reporting, motherjones.com. Uh, on the entire Russian investigation, Robert Mueller, um, you know, uh, going back to some of the original sourcing with you know, David Korn. Yeah, um, the dossier. And the dossier, right. And most recently uh, on about the Michael Cohen payments and uh, who the fact that Donald Trump directed them, approved them, directed them, ordered them, whatever. Um, and, and now we have Cohen um, charged with committing those two crimes. The U.S. attorney is saying he did so at the direction of individual one. Right. You know, putting Donald Trump in the category of unindicted co-conspirator, which was Richard Nixon's category. And Donald Trump saying, I didn't do anything wrong. This is just, uh, I mean, Barack Obama and John McCain did the same thing. They made mistake in their campaign filings, too. Like equating making these payments to these two women to shut up about their affair with him, right, is the same as making a a bookkeeping mistake in a routine campaign filing, correcting it right away, and paying the fine. Well, right. And also, I mean, that's so silly because it's not like Michael Cohen was immediately reimbursed for the exact amount, right? Like we have these like sort of sketchy payments afterwards over the, the next year that are like clearly disguised. They're not written down as like campaign finance expenditure made by Michael Cohen, right? right it's like clearly right. there's a whole conspiracy that lasts a long time to sort of cover up these payments. Um, you know, and speaking of Michael Cohen, I think that... And they were not booking errors. These were deliberate payments made, deliberate payments made for the purpose of covering up this uh, sexual uh, hanky-panky or whatever right. so that it would not hurt him in his election campaign. Right, right, absolutely. Uh, you know, and I have to say, I think that, you know, we've... And then over a year cover-up, two years cover-up. Oh, right, 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 of course. And and then, and then you know, prosecutors and defense attorneys will say this, right? Like, like you can claim I didn't know I was doing anything wrong, but then when you go spend two years lying about it... <laughs> It's hard to say you didn't know you're doing anything wrong. Like if as your story keeps changing and, you know, your name in the document is David Dennison and, you know, first it's this excuse right. and then it's this yeah. excuse. It's kind of hard to claim I didn't know I did anything wrong because then why did you make up 10 lies about it? Right. Uh, so uh, I ran into uh, David Corn, uh, your boss, uh, at um, MSNBC the other day. We were both on Saturday morning. Uh, and I, I thought he made a very interesting point, which is, OK, so if. If, according to these filings, mm-hmm. uh, Donald Trump knew all about the payments to Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal, and also knew, according to Michael Cohen, all about the negotiations for this new hotel 
building the new Trump Tower in Moscow, which, of course, he denied he knew anything about. But Michael Cohen says, no, Donald Trump was involved the whole way. Of course. So if he knew about both of those two things, do we really believe that he knew nothing about the June 9, 2016 meeting at Trump Tower to get dirt on Hillary? Right. I mean, definitely not. And I think here's... You can't believe it. Here's the thing that's so interesting here. I think the Trump Tower Moscow thing is the really big deal because Trump didn't think he was going to win. None of those people thought they were going to win. They thought they were going to get a tower in Moscow out of it, a tower they'd wanted for a really long time, a tower that was going to mean hundreds of millions of dollars from the Russians pretty much immediately. Right. And the Russians knew that that's what he wanted. And so they dangled it in front of him. And there's no way that... You know, in exchange for attacking Hillary Clinton for, you know, being for all of this. And and there's just no way that Trump pursued, you know, real estate in Moscow for decades. And then the Russians come knocking on his door talking about it. And he has no idea. Yeah. In his own building, a floor below his office. Right. With his son running the meeting. Right. Right. And then, you know, after that, there are plans to then go to Moscow for for, you know, Michael Cohen to then go to Moscow. It's clearly like it's still going. Yeah, Absolutely. Good work, Mother Jones. Thanks so much, Pamela, for coming in today. Uh, you can follow her work and uh, David Korn, all the rest, at MotherJones.com. And now, make it a great Tuesday, folks, and come back and see us this again tomorrow. We'll be looking for you. Fresh show.